Today FM. Oh, it's on. For the first time ever, Ireland's next leader will be chosen not by people of every shade and none, but by those who wear blue to the party. But that doesn't mean it's a closed shop. Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney have been having a very public debate about the direction the country is going and the direction they want to lead it. And last night, Thursday night, they took their arguments on the road. I'm Gavin Riley, and that was the week. Very quickly before we get into that, however, a detour just to mention Monday night's events in Manchester. Not that much more can be said about such a gruesome and perverse act of horror. I grew up adoring the footballers from the red half of Manchester and the bands from the blue half. I know from my few trips over to see the former that the city will persevere, that they'll know it's not hate that will tear them apart, and that Manchester knows better than to look back in anger. But of course, events like Manchester do raise questions about how prepared Ireland might be. And on that, a very quick detour to discuss something that was mentioned earlier this week in Leinster House. For some months now, the Junior Minister for Defence, Paul Keogh, who has effectively been running the department given that his senior minister is Enda Kenny, has been playing down the fact that some staff from as far away as Finner Camp in Donegal are regularly rostered for security and maintenance shifts in Dublin. He has also said regularly that he wants it to be the case that new recruits are sent to the base that's closest to their home whenever they enrol in the Defence Forces. This week, giving defence statements to the Shannad, he slightly revised that. Yes, there is people travelling from Athlone, Donegal to Dublin. Absolutely. When a member joins the Irish Defence Forces, I don't think to join an organisation that are going to be left within a barracks that is closest to their home. Of course they're going to have to travel. That is part and parcel of a person becoming members of the Defence Forces. To do barrack duties? That we, that we, that we, that we, that we, yes, to do barrack duties. Absolutely. Let let me state the reason why. It is absolute Right, so, 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 how much is it costing? See, to see, this is where uh, Senator Crockwell, maybe if you listen for a second. So, where is... Where is the biggest threats? If there's a, a terrorist attack to happen there, where is the biggest threat of that? In the greater Dublin area. So I think it's important that there is a terrorist attack, a, attack in Dublin. That members of our defence forces know the geography, they know the area, and they know exactly what they're dealing with. So now we have a case where people can't be expected to work close to home but also that troops in Donegal are being regularly deployed to Dublin for security shifts, apparently so that they're familiar with Dublin in the event of a terror attack. Now that logic might seem fine, but, as I understand it, the Air Corps has seriously limited capacity, bearing in mind the shortages that led to Rescue 116 being sent out on an evening when it ought never to have been there in the first place. It is my understanding that capacity in the Air Corps is so limited that if there were to be an incident in Dublin, it would have to send one of its very few helicopters to Donegal to get the troops back only a handful at a time. And if an attack happened to strike outside of Dublin, let's say at, at Slane Castle or in Thurlis on the day of a hurling final, then the mobility of Defence Forces troops would become a serious concern. We've already had situations in the past where the Garda Representative Association, that's the body that represents ordinary rank-and-file Gardaí, has complained that its members simply aren't well briefed enough about what they're meant to do in the event of a mass attack. They say that the strategy is done over their heads and that ordinary Gardaí, who would be the operatives on the ground, 
don't know what the strategy is supposed to be. The explanation has always been that it's going to be up to the defence forces to secure a situation or any kind of a site where an event might have happened, but it now seems that it will be very difficult for the soldiers ever to get there in the first place. Here is hoping we never find out just how grave those shortcomings may be. Today FM. Anyway, let's get to the Fine Gael campaign and to Thursday night's debate in the Red Cow Hotel in Dublin. Now, this was open to the media, but it wasn't on live TV. In fact, Fine Gael has put the kibosh on any plans for a live head-to-head and any kind of private media. Their apparent concern is that in the quest for ratings, the moderator would try to make the two candidates lean up against each other and try to spark a row that Fine Gael doesn't want. I don't think they necessarily had to worry about that because the two candidates were more than willing to have a little cut at each other anyway last night. Without meaning to swarm you with analysis or to try and, and give you too much of a spin about what was said, here instead are some selected parts from Leo Varadkar's opening speech, which leaned very heavily on his own personal story. And when it comes to politics, the words of Robert Kennedy quoting George Bernard Shaw sum it all up for me. And he said, some people see the world as it is and ask themselves why. Others imagine the world as it might be and ask themselves why not. I've always been that kind of person. I've never been willing to just complain about problems or say that something or somebody should do something about it. I want to be the person who got involved, who was a change maker, who tried to change things for the better. I was elected to the Dáil 10 years ago today, believe it or not. Congratulations to everyone else who's in the class of 2007. I see some of you here tonight. And I was elected in Dublin West. And Dublin West, as many of you will know, is difficult territory for Fine Gael. It's not a natural constituency for us. It was a three-seater with three big names, Joan Burton, Joe Higgins, and Brian Lennon. And the pundits didn't give me much of a chance. But on the day, this day ten years ago, I took the second seat. So I know what it takes to regain lost ground. And I know what it takes to win votes in areas that are not traditionally strong for Fine Gael. It takes hard graft in the constituency, a fair wind behind you, and help from headquarters. Fine Gael must be a party that can win support from all parts of the country, from Castlenoch to Clondalkin, from Dungarvan to Dahoma, in Nobber and in Rathout. Not because we seek to be all things to all people, but because there are people in all walks of life and all places who share our values. Trying to be, trying to be all things to all people is the Fianna Fáil way. It might work for them on occasion, but it'll never work for us. If we try it, we'll end up being nothing to anyone. And we've tried it many times in the past and ended up in opposition for decades as a result. And we should not make that mistake again. To me, Sinn Féin remains the greatest threat to everyone's prosperity, including their own supporters. And Sinn Féin is not yet a truly democratic party. The contrast between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin is evident in this room tonight. We are engaging in an open and democratic process to elect our new leader. Contrast that with how Sinn Féin chose their leader in Northern Ireland only a few months ago, behind closed doors and done in secret. When I talk about people who get up early in the morning, let me tell you what I mean. I'm talking about people who work in the public and private sector, commuters, people who work for themselves. And I'm also talking about carers who get up early in the morning to look after loved ones, parents who get up early in the morning to get their kids ready to school, and people who volunteer for their communities. Use any term you like, Middle Ireland, the coping class, the squeeze middle, but they should be our priority, because if they're not our priority, they won't be anyone else's. <laughs> Under my leadership, Fine Gael will stand for things, and we'll all know what they are. Everyone might not agree with us, 
but I will give Fine Gael definition. Something to believe in, something to vote for, and success at the ballot box. That was Leo Varadkar's opening gambit. Here's the opening speech from Simon Coveney. We have got a big decision to make as a collective, as a family. It's a big decision because not only are we electing a party leader to take us forward, but we are also, by extension, electing the next Taoiseach of Ireland. And that is an awesome responsibility for this party. And we have a big choice to make. Before you consider which direction you want this party to go in, can I ask you to consider two things? First of all, look at the candidates. Scrutinize them. Listen to them. Test them. Question them. And make sure that you vote for the person that you believe is most qualified to take this party and this country forward, given the challenges that we know we face and the challenges that we haven't seen yet. Somebody who has a proven record in the European Union of getting things done. Somebody who knows how to keep a minority government together because he helped to put it together. Somebody that, yes, needs to give this party definition in the future. But let's make sure it's a definition that you are comfortable with. And it's a definition that you join this party and, be, and is the reason why you stay as a member of this party year after year after year. And this is, this is not about what other parties do and we must be different. The way I believe this party needs to go forward is we decide for ourselves what we want. Forget about Fianna Fáil. We decide for ourselves what we want. And then we become the best and the most sincere and the most energized with the biggest ideas to galvanize people behind that message. And that message has to be about representing everybody. It has to be about ensuring that we represent the man in the sleeping bag tonight on Grafton Street, as well as the man who's creating a thousand jobs tomorrow. And that man in the sleeping bag may never vote for us. But do you not think we have a responsibility to help him? The reason why I am so energized by this contest is that the party that I love and I have given my working life to is about to make a choice between two very different viewpoints and two very different journeys. And I am a passionate advocate of one and I am deeply concerned about the other. And that is why I want this party to debate these issues in full before we vote. And I will respect the outcome and continue to advocate for my perspective at the end of that if I lose. But I don't believe I will when you think about the choices that we are making. Coveney finished with a claim that Fine Gael had always flourished in public support when it broadened its church and it sold a message about social justice as he says it did in the early 1980s under Garrett Fitzgerald. The moderator, Gavin Duffy, put that point back to Leo Varadkar. He says he's Mr. Catch-all. Yeah. Answer, please. No, look, at, I'm, I'm, I'm used to being the underdog. <laughs> so um, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a new experience to be the front-runner, so I expect there to be a few blows. Um, and, uh, I, you know, you can characterise the race in any way you like, um, but my strong view as a party, as, uh, that we should always be a party uh, that, that tries to represent everyone, but it's different to what I believe is being said tonight, uh, which is that we should try to represent everyone in such a way 
that we stand for nothing. And that's not the party that I believe in. I believe that we stand for very clear things. And that's why I produced a detailed policy paper explaining exactly what those things are. And they include a section on disability, which doesn't exist in Simon's document, for example. Uh, but I do have a document here. It is the Just Society document. I, I read it last night. I read it as a student. Uh, I hadn't read it until recently. Um, it, as Simon said, it's not quite from 30 years ago. I think it's from about 50 years ago. But that's not important. There are other documents uh, from, from history that are very important as well. But it is very much a document of its time. Uh, it talks about papal encyclicals. It talks about state control of industry. It talks about the government setting wages uh, in private industry, uh, things that I don't think any of us would support now. Uh, and for me, the 21st century, and this is the 21st century, we're 20 years into the 21st century now, uh, isn't and shouldn't be framed about ideas from 60 years ago from our party or the mad ideas of an English lady from 40 years ago, for that matter. Rather, we should talk about the future. And with the Margaret Thatcher cherry popped, Coveney bailed back in. He was asked if his vision of Fine Gael was a Fianna Fáil-style party for everyone, with no clear identity. Maybe that was a prepared answer, I'm not sure, but I didn't even mention left and right in my speech. Um, what I'm talking about uh, isn't uh, written in terms of political philosophies. It's a value system. It's as simple as that. You know, if you walk by somebody who's lying on the street because they have no home and you're in government, and you're Minister for Housing, you have a responsibility to change that. That's not left or right. I agree with Leo. This is about equality of opportunity. It's not about equality of outcome. Uh, and this is where I disagree with left-wing parties very strongly. I consider myself a Christian Democrat, not Social Democrat, although I think those terms are a little outdated. Um, I mean, the view of the hard left from a housing perspective is you can only build uh, council housing on publicly owned land. We're totally changing that. And instead, we are insisting on mixed tenure housing so that social housing is built next door to private housing, which is built next door to affordable housing and maybe affordable rental housing. So that when children grow up, they don't grow up with a label on their back before they even go to school because of where they come from. Already you can see the divide emerging about what sort of caring society the two candidates want to represent. The jibe about prepared answers did come back when Varadkar said there was nothing wrong with preparing for the expected. I don't think it's such a bad thing in politics to be prepared. Uh, I was pretty prepared in the last couple of days. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> as, um, as a famous man from Cork once said, um, it was Roy Keane of course, um, <laughs> Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I think it might be better that I don't comment on the, the preparedness uh, uh, in relation to this campaign, which was, that preparation was going on for about 12 months, from what I understand. Um, the... You were prepared. Was Simon not prepared? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to ask questions on behalf of Simon. I'm, I'm sure you can, uh, I'm, I'm sure he can ask that for himself, but... Um, um, you know, in terms of preparation, uh, the Taoiseach indicated in February that he would step down. Uh, and I can assure you that's when uh, preparations began for my team, uh, not before. So in three months is, is, is a long time to get prepared. If you can't be prepared in three months, uh, when it comes to general elections, we might get a lot less notice than that. I had a bad start uh, for the first 48 hours. There's no, there's no doubt about that, although I have some fantastic Oireachtas colleagues that are supporting me. Uh, but really for me... 
uh, I think the real contest starts tonight and for the next three nights when we get an actual and real and blunt conversation going in the party uh, as, to, uh, as to what the outcome is going to be about. From there, there was a lot of agreement, in fact, about the future of the party and exactly how they would get the grassroots involved. This is from Simon Coveney, by the way, about the last general election. We were so busy trying to be successful in our ministries that there was nothing like enough conversation happening between part, the party membership, uh, councillors, TDs and ministers. And actually, even within our parliamentary party, uh, many of the mistakes that we made in the last six years were being exposed within our parliamentary party and by our councillors. Uh, and that message was being ignored uh, by senior decision-makers in the party. So much so that we probably got, well, we certainly got our core message wrong. And we put it together on the back of a pretty slick focus group that cost the party quite a lot of money, as opposed to treating rooms like this one as our focus group. Bear in mind that Varadkar is supported by Brian Hayes, MEP, who was Fine Gael's Director of Elections last year. You can perhaps see a series of shade emerging here. But the two sides did agree on involving the grassroots more. They agreed on trying to ensure the clinical autonomy of the National Maternity Hospital. They agreed about how it was absolutely unfortunate and completely unacceptable that the trial of Sean Fitzpatrick had collapsed as it did this week. As a bit of a tangent, if you weren't following that, we should just bring you up to speed. The state's longest-serving criminal trial collapsed this week after 127 sitting days for several reasons, partly because the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement shredded files which were materially important to the case and it coached witnesses from Anglo's auditors. Richard Boy Barrett in the Dole this week wasn't so convinced that the whole thing was an innocent accident. All of that stinks. Ministers knew there were problems. The guards knew there were problems. Judges knew there were problems. The DPP knew there were problems. Uh, nothing is done about this. And then he walks away free. Uh, free uh, because of apparent blunders of one scapegoated individual. I don't believe it for a minute. The Jobs Minister, Mary Mitchell O'Connor, who is responsible for the ODCE, has ordered a report, but she says she can't defend what has happened. Everything is on the table. I'm not defending what happened. It was absolutely appalling. Um, I expect that uh, finalised report as a matter of urgency, and as I said, I will be bringing it to the Attorney General and to Cabinet. Anyway, back to the debate. The discussion went on about how the two men would deal with the threat of terror, particularly in the wake of Manchester. They both talked really about organisational measures, but had no major new policies. They both talked about Brexit. Coveney referred to his period as an MEP and the chair of the European Agriculture Council as a measure of his European standing. Varadkar says that as social protection minister, he has a clear stake in retaining not just the common travel area, but also the likes of the common citizenship or reciprocal rights that Ireland and the UK give to each other's citizens. Uh, there was, by the way, the traditional Shinner bashing from Leo Varadkar for Sinn Féin apparently being unwilling to serve in government in the north or to show up in Westminster. Now, that all led to a conversation about United Ireland, which led, of course, to more Shinner bashing. And you can say, at least these two lads could read the room. But again, there weren't huge differences between them. They advocate for a border poll as soon as possible, uh, so that they can try and achieve this objective of 50% plus one and then force territorial change on the island. Uh, I think certainly my approach, but I also believe Fine Gael's approach is a very different one to that. Uh, It's to try and build... Uh, unity on this island. 
uh, to reach out to unionist communities as well as nationalist communities uh, and to try and reassure a minority in Northern Ireland today that may become a minority on the island of Ireland in the future, that actually that future isn't a scary one for them. My political philosophy uh, when it comes to Northern Ireland, uh, the person that I respect the most and admire the most in the history uh, of um, trying to deal with the conflict uh, in Northern Ireland and resolve it uh, is John Hume, uh, the great John Hume. And, and he used a very particular term other than United Ireland. He's used the term agreed Ireland, and that's something that I strongly believe in. And the Good Friday Agreement, in a certain way, did that. It was adopted by 97% of people here in the Republic of Ireland, over 70% of people in Northern Ireland. And that's why, like Simon, I'm very much against a border poll, because a border poll goes back to something different. It goes back to the idea that the constitutional status in Northern Ireland would change because 50% plus one people thought about it. And that's not right. Anything that we do in Northern Ireland must have a degree of consensus for both communities or it isn't going to work. And that's uh, very much my view on it. Eventually, the heaving and cramped room in the Red Cow got to the end of the two-hour debate when each candidate was asked to compliment the other and name what they found most impressive about their rival. I think being up here, you know, it's almost a little bit fake because, um, because we know each other for so long. Actually, we've served in, in government together now for six years and I think most of the time when there have been debates and arguments around the cabinet table we've probably been on the same side I'd say 80 or 90% of the time uh, and we're very like-minded people I think uh, in that regard um, I think there's two things I think Simon is an enormously honourable person um, uh, I think he's extraordinarily persistent as well uh, and that's something I admire in him um, and one thing I probably admire in him the most uh, is his extraordinary patience um, he is somebody who is just uh, so good with people, is willing to hear them out, um, is willing to go back to them again and again, often when they keep saying no, <laughs> and, um, and very often does, man- and very, on occasion at least, does manage to convince them. He runs a pretty quick 5K early in the morning. <laughs> he looks good in Lycra. <laughs> and he wears... And he wears a pretty mean pair of shades, too. (laughs) But outside of that, um, he's a very smart politician. He very rarely gets cut out. Uh, And he does provide an edge to politics that most politicians don't provide. And I think that is true about Leo. Uh, He provides something different. Um, uh, So he is a really important part of the makeup of this party. We are a broad church with people uh, with different approaches to life and to politics. Uh, And my experience at Leo, and I have worked with him on many projects and sat around the cabinet table with him through difficult years. Uh, And his commentary is always intelligent and smart and incisive. And so that was that. Ultimately, Coveney's opening speech was probably better received. In the question and answer session, it was more of a score draw. But in a funny way, I think trying to pick a winner is totally moot. Ultimately, at their core, the two candidates are selling fairly different visions. Simon Coveney wants Fine Gael to be a catch-all movement that appeals to all and caters to all, that tries to win the votes of all and that tries to bear a social responsibility to all. Varadkar wants Fine Gael to be a fairly conservative party, perhaps for conservative people, but appeals to conservatives themselves to have enough of a social conscience to drive the party in the direction of the needy. In all honesty, I don't think people who join a party like Fine Gael do so without already having an opinion 
about which of those two visions they prefer. I think if you join Fine Gael, I think you're already likely to have a very deep, innate sense of whether you want the party to be a broad church and share a party with people whose opinions perhaps sometimes you don't agree with, or whether you want it to be a party for people who lean perhaps a little bit to the right, like you might do yourself. So, in a funny way, the two men are already preaching to choirs that have been differently converted. But I have to say, the room in the Red Cow on Thursday night did appear definitely to buy more into what Simon Coveney was saying. Now, whether that's because they shared his catch-all vision, whether they were responding to the energy and the vigour that he showed in giving his opening statements, or whether they simply embraced the idea that the contest wasn't a foregone conclusion, who knows? But we will know next Friday who has emerged on top, and if Coveney can swing the preferences of six Varadkar TDs and Senators and still win 60% of grassroots and councillors, and the latter is definitely possible, the race can still be his. We'll know next week. Today FM. And that is what we'll know next week, because next Friday Fine Gael's next leader will be crowned and we'll begin to know what sort of government we'll have for the next while at least. We'll be back next weekend to tell you everything that we think you need to know. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Give us a rating, give us a subscription, give us some positive commentary. Do whatever it is that you kids do with your podcast platform and send your critical feedback one way or another to gav at todayfm.com for all your thoughts. See you next week, but until then, I'm Gavin Riley, and that was The Week. Day FM.